0: life of Moses. So what I'd like to do at this time is read from verse 37 and to the end of the chapter and a couple of verses in in chapter 8. So Acts chapter 7 verse 37 says, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet me from your brethren, hear him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected, and in their hearts they they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during fourteen years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Remphan, and images which are made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David." Who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling place, a dwelling for the God of Jacob, but Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the Just One, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the teeth. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. So I cut to the heart and gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said thus, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, And Samaria, except the apostles, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So that is all we're going to read for now. So uh, just to kind of recap some things we talked about last time, last week, and just the context of the whole chapter, we're talking about... Stephen, his response to the accusations made by the false accusers, accusations of being, you know, that Stephen is talking about being against Moses and against the temple and against the law, these false false accusations. Stephen didn't respond directly to the allegations, but instead recounted extensively the history of Israel, and we started off the first night with, with Abraham and Joseph, we s- continued last week on Moses, and we'll finish up with Moses tonight. We talked about the events up, leading up to his calling. So he uh, was glorified, glorified in Egypt. He was raised in the palace of the king with great privilege, and then his humiliation, where he spent 40 years in the desert wilderness, at 40 years old, he came to his heart to deliver his people, but he ended up instead in the desert, shepherding sheep. And after 40 years had passed, and likely, in the back of his mind, he's thinking his dream died, that, you know, I want to deliver my people, but now here I am, 40 years later, in the wilderness. But God's timing was to send him to Egypt to deliver his people. And Moses, the one who they rejected in verse 27, is the one that God raises up to be the deliverer and exal- ex- exalts him. And God re- reiterates his covenant with Moses and the children of Israel, of course, by going back, as we see in verse 32, that he is the God of I- Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's where we're at right now. So before we begin, anyone have any thoughts? The past few verses we uh, left off, around 36. If not, we're going to continue on here in the new material. So, verse 37. So Stephen mentions here one of the prophecies of Moses related to a prophet that will be raised up. And those, the children of Israel, will hear him, will hear him. It's interesting that this prophecy is specifically about the Messiah, isn't it? It's about about the one who would come and fulfill the promises of God, just like Moses did. And here it is. Stephen here is talking about this Prophecy of Moses, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, of of course, and yet here it is, they reject the prophecy that was given to them way back then. Just as all throughout the history of Israel, they rejected the promises of God, and we're going to look at that as we go through. The religious leaders should have known, I mean, this is not an obscure passage, or promise. This is something that I'm sure the religious leaders would have known in their minds that there was going to be one raised up like Moses, and him they should hear. And uh, continue on, verse 38, talking about Moses in the midst of the congregation in the wilderness with the angel spoke to them to him on the mount Sinai you know again hit reiterating the promises of God this is the history of our nation Moses received the oracles of God he delivered God delivered those the mess, the, the law to Moses God and Moses provided it and presented it to the people of Israel and they said yes we will we will Enter in a covenant with God to be obedient to these things, and yet in verse thirty nine it talks about whom our fathers would not obey, our fathers would not obey, even at even in the midst of the giving of the law, as we'll look at they were they were worshiping an idol, weren't they, even when this whole process was happening, when Moses was away for a long period of time, they, uh, they, they made Aaron make a calf to worship. And they said, this is the God who delivered us from Egypt. And so from the very beginning of their, of their history as a nation, they were not obeying God. They were not faithful to God. That's part of the point of what Stephen is going to be coming and hammering home to them, the last part of the the chapter
1: was rejected in the same way as Moses. In verse thirty-five, Moses was rejected as a ruler and a deliverer, <clears throat> and in verse thirty-nine, it uses that word again: rejected. Um, as a prophet so in the same way they rejected the Lord Jesus they rejected the authority of what he had to say and because they rejected that they also rejected him as a ruler and a deliverer so if we are going to accept him as the Lord of our lives we have to accept what he says it goes hand in hand you can't you can't have the Lord Jesus as your Lord if you don't obey his word at least at least they want to You fail, of course but go hand in hand and the thing too it was for that reason they were carried all the way to
2: Babylon because of those the punishment was many years later it was for that reason what happened at that time
0: yeah yeah all throughout the Old Testament it, it plagued it plagued the people of Israel they're turning away from God turning to idols it just plagued them and it, it seemed that um, bringing, to, bringing them to Babylon finally cured them of it but it was a harsh lesson lesson to learn because we don't we don't really read of that in the New Testament it seemed to have cured them of that issue but through the Old Testament continually it was an issue They were disobedient to God, to his prophets, to his words, and they followed other
1: gods. If you go to Matthew 23, which is the chapter where the Lord Jesus pronounces woe upon the Pharisees and scribes, he says there in verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you built the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say if we had lived in the days of our fathers we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets so they felt (coughs) it's the same people here they felt that they were better than their fathers and Stephen is pointing out very emphatically you're just like your fathers and it's interesting that here he says our fathers Up until you know, he uses our fathers, so at this point, Stephen is still including himself until you get to verse 51, and then he says, Your fathers, and that's where he separates himself from the nation. And the Lord also talks about,
0: as part of his indictment against them, is in Luke 11, he talks about. Luke 11, 47, he says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Pretty harsh words, isn't it? Pretty harsh words, Lord had.
3: they're still His people. Yes. Despite all that. That's right.
0: But the promises of God. Yeah. The nation yeah. of Israel still stand. Absolutely, for sure.
4: So they rejected the Lord as they rejected Moses. And when, when you look at Joseph, it was for envy. And we see that the pilot said that it was by, for, because of envy that they had delivered the Lord Jesus. So there's the twofold thing there, envy
0: and the rejection. Yes. It's interesting in verse 41 it talks about you know they rejoice in the works of their own hands. What a what a uh, a terrible thing to 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 be to to be involved with. You know, they made this calf, they worship this idol, and they rejoiced in the works of their own hands. They didn't acknowledge God as the one who delivered them from Egypt. Obviously they saw great miracles of God in the whole deliverance time. And yet they, they rejoiced in not in God, but in their works of their own hands, this idol that they made. And God gave them up, it says in verse 42. He turned and he gave them up. That reminds me of Romans chapter 1, where the downfall of mankind in general, where it talks about the people were not thankful and, and just went downhill from there. Verse 24 of that passage, it says, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's truly a good summary of the nation of Israel as well. God God
4: wanted wanted them set apart. And they did exactly what God didn't want them to do to mit- imitate the nations around them and they wanted a God that the Egyptians had a God that walked before them and the same thing in Romans like they're imitating what's going on around losing losing the, the separate, the, the, separate the, the separation that should be between people of God
1: and the world they wanted to go back to Egypt Now, in some ways, it might sound a little unfair of Stephen to compare the Jews here with the idol worshippers of the Old Testament. They might have felt that way. Because you can say what you want, but when the Jews came back from Babylon, they never worshipped idols anymore. They were <coughs> dead set against it. However, if you go to the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel says to Saul, in verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So, the ultimate sin is not only idolatry. The ultimate sin is rejecting God. That can be through idolatry. And it can also be through stubbornness. And that was really the sin. So in that sense, it is really... What they were doing here is just as evil as what they did in the Old Testament because they ultimately rejected the
4: Messiah.
0: And then he quotes from uh, the Old Testament here in um, verse 42 and 43. It's a quotation from... Amos chapter five, not an exact quotation, but there's a bit of changes there. But um, so basically, he is the prophet is is really showing them the, the hypocrisy, you might say, in the sense that you know they are they may have offered their their offerings, and yet their heart was far away from God. It was hypocrisy. They went through the motions. And yet, the substance is not actually there. And for that, they, you know, eventually, as Hank mentioned, eventually, in time, they were ultimately punished. And God gave them days of grace, times of grace, good kings, and uh, extended, and yet there was a time when the mercy of God had to, had to finish, and then the judgment of God had to, had to start and yet, we know that God was still with His people. Of course, He brought them back. The promises of God are still true. But in this particular, in this particular case, there was uh, judgment that had to happen. And then, uh, in verse forty-four and forty-five, talks about the tabernacle. So God was, and, and God had blessed. It's important to remember that God had blessed the people of Israel that we read before about they received the living oracles. And Paul would talk about this in Acts chapter 2, or Romans chapter 2, it talks about that the Jews were privileged people. They received the living oracles, the word of God. They received, in verse 44 we talk about, they received the tabernacle. They were blessed and privileged people. And God had had a plan for, for the The nation of Israel to be a light and to be a testimony to the nations around them, and to show the true that there is one true God, and we see glimpses of that here and there. We see, I think, a clear example of that is with Jonah. You know, he was sent to a Gentile pagan nation to, to to preach about the true God, and they were you know they repented. It was a real revival, and yet we don't see a whole lot of those things going on. That that should have been, I think. The pattern, but that was the exception to the rule, I guess you might say. They were meant to be a testimony in light in the in the in the nations around them.
1: So, um, <clears throat> I read an interesting story today on the news, actually on the Christian website that since this war started in Israel and that many Jews many soldiers as well are wearing now a badge of the third temple on their shoulder and they are really longing and looking forward to the third temple and so even secular Jews are doing such a thing so they haven't changed anything because it's not about the temple. It's about coming back to God. It mentions here that
2: Moses gave instructions exactly as God gave him, because in the tabernacle there were specific instructions how to make each part, and some significant meanings about God's atonement and God's way of salvation for them, and so on. And uh, even so, it seems that it, even when when it was Tabernacle was replaced by the Temple in later years, uh, it was the same symbolism. Which we learn much about Christ and God's grace and, and so <clears throat> on and atonement today. But the Pharisees and, and the Scribes and the Sadducees seem to somehow miss it. They had the the the. the illustration, a practical illustration of God and His character and His mercy and His atonement But somehow they missed it for the, for the reality of, of who Christ really was and that that was something that they just seemed to, to miss That's right. So the next few verses, 45,
0: 46, kind of condenses the history of Israel Talks about going into the land. He uh, mentions Joshua. Now I don't King James talks about might have Jesus there, and Joshua and Jesus are the same Greek word, and um, there's no contradiction there. But it's clear that uh, as they entered the land, God had promised to them, and then their history started in the land. And it moves on, it says, talks about David, talks about Solomon, talks about building the temple, moving from the transition from the tabernacle system to the temple system. And, but in contrast to that, in contrast to, you know, the temple, that was the first temple. Now, when this happens, this is the second temple, or Herod's temple as well. And, um, but, verse 48, even Solomon himself recognized that the Most High God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Even at the dedication of the temple, Solomon recognized that this temple does not contain God. It's a place of worship. It's a place of communion with God. But God is not limited to this temple. And I think it's really applicable because one of the accusations against Stephen was that he was speaking against the temple. When all throughout their history, even at the beginning of the temple dedication, Solomon himself said that this temple is not the sole essence of where God resides. How can God be contained within this building, or any building? And so very relevant to what Stephen is being accused of of, of speaking against the temple and the, the Jews were so concerned about preserving this system that they had whereas God had moved on he was moving on to something else and he had moved on of course through his son the Lord Jesus and eventually the temple would be destroyed and there would be no turning back the temple would be gone
4: and even with the second temple, the Ark was gone, Yes, which was the, the, the picture of the presence of God in their midst. So there was a temple, there was a holiest place, and there was a holiest of holiest, or whatever, holiest of all, and nothing in there, like the Ark was not there. So it was all a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, of uh, rites and, and uh, pictures that really didn't have much meaning anymore
1: the sad thing is that a lot of that kind of thinking has entered Christendom as well over the centuries and we're always in danger <coughs> of you know attaching importance to a building as, as blessed as it may have may be to have a building but it's just a building. Just that whole idea of you know the church is the people, it's not the building. Or let's say uh, using your <clears throat> gift. A lot of people think if it doesn't happen in the building it's not using a gift. Well we I mean, don't wrong if that's what we think, right? So the church is people.
0: Yes, we we use the expression we're going to church and things like that, but we know that that's not really the way it is supposed to be, right? I mean, the church is the people. We're going to the building where the church meets, kind of thing. That's the proper way to say it, but we just use that term, go to church. But um, yeah, for sure, it's important to remember, remember the true, the substance of which we have in Christ, not just the forms. And that's something we have to uh, deal with definitely in our Christian lives. And so that is the <clears throat> that is the um, argument, I guess, the response of Stephen. That's the end of his <clears throat> account of the history of Israel, at verse 50. And then he turns the tables. And No longer is it they are accusing him. Now he's going to accuse them. And based on what he just said, the past 50 verses... He's going to now. He's going to charge them. And he talks about in verse fifty one being a stiff necked or a stubborn and uncircumcised in heart. <clears throat> and interesting, as as Leonard mentioned another another night, the first night, I believe that you know earlier we talked about Abraham has was given the, the right of circumcision as as a, as the promise of God as the as the um, the sign of his. Of his faith, and yet here it is. Stephen is talking about their uh, uncircumcised heart. And when you think about it, you know, to be uncircumcised really means that you're a, a pagan, you're a heathen, you're a gentile. So Stephen was accusing the Jewish leaders of being pagans and a heathen and Gentiles. That what an insult that would have been for them to hear in their heart, in their minds, like this, this ringing in their ears, like. What is he saying to me? What accusations bring against me? I'm talking about resisting the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did. You're reminded this evening of the fact that over and over and over again they resisted the will of God. They were stubborn. They resisted the promises of God. They resisted the prophets of God. Just and and you're doing the exact same thing now.
3: What do you think you you are or not? It's interesting this phrase he uses. um, It's repeated often in the Old Testament by the prophets. Moses even alludes to himself in Deuteronomy 10.16. Moses says to the people, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn or stiff-necked. And... So, Moses is saying, like, "Back to me," and I believe it's, it's repeated, um, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and the, like just God calling to the people, like return to me. And, like, yes, you might be circumcised, but your hearts aren't. Like, it's just an outward thing. It's like there's nothing the inward going on. That's
0: right. Yeah, yeah. He's linking, linking back to the, the messages found throughout the Old Testament. Continues by talking about the prophets. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Again, the stubbornness of the nation all throughout their history. They even killed, it says, uh, the one who was foretold. We read uh, earlier about the prophet. Moses said, the prophet would come like me. They killed that prophet. They killed the, the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one, the just one, It says, And they became betrayers and murderers. That's quite a quite a statement, the fact that they would accuse, that Stephen would accuse, rightly so, these individuals of being betrayers and of murderers. No wonder that got them riled up, as we'll see later on.
2: I think there's a practical lesson for us here. These these Israelites were they had the outward form, they were physically <clears> circumcised for sure. But, but inside their hearts is a different story, and that was their problem. It was their heart rejection, not the external. They had all the externals, but their hearts are not right before God. And we can have that same situation in our life if we're not careful. We can just go through the forms, and our hearts are not right, and we're just as evil as they are.
1: You know, if Stephen were speaking today, like the way he's doing it, he would call him too
0: harsh. He's not Canadian. He's not polite enough. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Verse <clears throat> 53 talks about receiving the law and not keeping it. Again, just reiterating their history. And again, in verse fifty-four, they weren't very happy. They weren't very happy with Stephen's accusations against them. They were, you know, they were cut to the heart. It says, <clears throat> or, or you might say, they were furious. <laughs> they were absolutely furious. I am sure if we saw them, the, you'd probably see it, that there was steam coming out of their ears. You know, I mean, like those those cartoons where it's like you are beat red, steam's coming out of your. Your ears, and they're just like furious, they're absolutely crazy furious. (coughs) Who are you (laughs) to tell us and accuse us of these things? And they gnashed at him with their teeth. Notice the contrast in verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he was gazing into the heaven and saw the glory of God. Earlier in the chapter we saw the, the God of glory. Now we see the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a wonderful testimony that he, I mean, he must have known that he was going to die. And yet he looked up to heaven and he saw his Savior. He saw his Savior. That must have been very, it must, in the midst of that turmoil, he must have found peace. You see, the Savior, standing, not seated, as we read many times in the, in the New Testament, but standing, ready to receive one of his own, himself. can't help but uh, see the
4: different response from Peter preached in uh, chapter 2. And it said, uh, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, "What shall we do?" And the response cut to the heart. There they were convicted. Yes. Here they're cut to the heart. And they're just you know, angry. angry. Yeah. There's, there's no conviction. There's just hatred and you know, just fire coming out of their ears. Like their accusation against Stephen was false accusations with no base, but. Stephen showed them 50, 50 verses of, of truth and of, of evidence. Yes. And it's right there before them. And they still are mad, even though they saw the evidence. So it is a big contrast with what Job just read. Because Peter gave them a lot of evidence too. But they were repentful repentant instead of, yes. of being mad. And, and still being stubborn. <coughs>
1: In uh, Luke chapter 19, the Lord Jesus tells a story mm-hmm. of a certain noble man who went into a far country to receive a kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then he says, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And I think you can look at Stephen as part of the <coughs> delegation. Every time a Christian gets killed for the name of Christ, the world is sending a delegation after the Lord Jesus having been rejected. Now they reject this Christian. And by that they're saying to the Lord Jesus, we don't want you to reign. It's pretty quite a thing when you think about it. There's thousands of Christians being martyred every year. And the world is still rejected. So one of our, our
0: questions in the bulletin was about what are some of the similar, similarities with the Lord Jesus? Um, with the Lord's trial, the Stephen, you know, Lord's trial and then Stephen has during this trial. What are the, some of the differences? So some of the, what are some of the things that we see are similar to those two events? The Lord's trial and Stephen's trial here.
2: The attitude was the same, but Father forgive them or don't they just
1: sin to their church that's right. Yeah. forgiving spirit mm-hmm. the Lord Jesus said Father forgive mm-hmm. them now the Lord Jesus said for they do not know what they're doing <coughs> Stephen didn't say that here because at this point in time they knew exactly what they were doing so this is the rejection of the testimony of the Holy Spirit in the gospels it's the rejection of the testimony of the Son you both get, for
2: Stephen and the Lord Jesus they, they both had false accusations yes which could not be
0: substantiated I was also thinking they were both full of the spirit it says it earlier chapter or says in chapter 6 that Stephen full of the Holy spirit and full of faith in the spirit and uh, some of the differences I was thinking about you know Stephen actually gave a defense whereas the Lord Jesus didn't give a defense mm-hmm. um Stephen was stoned right away, whereas this whole mock trial happened with the Lord Jesus. We will talk about that a little later on.
3: It's interesting that, like I, back when Jesus is killed, they it seems like they can't do this; they can't kill him because of the Romans. And I, I read somewhere that. The Passover had a lot of had like a large Roman soldier presence because that was the time that a lot of Jews would come together and they were they were fearing rebellion And so they had extra guards <clears throat> stationed. And So that was one of the reasons why they had to bring Jesus to Pilate. They couldn't just have stir up the people and kill them themselves. Whereas it seems like there's not maybe as much of a Roman soldier presence at this moment, and so they're able to kind of just rise up and mob yeah. Stephen. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read those kinds of
0: comments, and there's another comment um, I read. So, uh, the Sanhedrin was permitted to execute only those accused of religious crimes. But the Sanhedrin, wanting to deflect blame for Jesus' death away from themselves, had handed Jesus over to Pilate for judgment. This was accomplished by changing. The charge against Jesus from blasphemy to insurrection against Rome, which is a political <clears throat> crime that called for crucifixion, the Roman method of execution. Stephen was was charged with with insurrection against Moses, which is a religious crime. So that they had the authority to stone. I mean, I don't know whose right or what the answer is. It was just a matter of like they just went crazy and they just they didn't care what what the rules were and they just stone stephen or was something <coughs> cultural like what we, we talked about i don't know if anybody's any thoughts on why why there is such a procedure at the trial the lord jesus versus here where it was just like straight on execution
1: i think one of the things you have to keep in mind too that the lord jesus it says numerous times in the gospels they feared the crowds if they had put the Lord Jesus to death the way they did Stephen here which is just marvelous it, it, they were you know, they would have been afraid of the crowds, they wanted to do it in a stealth, stealthy way you know, uh, not at a feast lest you know, you get trouble and so the Lord Jesus in the eyes of the common man was actually quite accepted it was the leaders that set up the crowd against him Of course, it's inspired by the devil but that would have been most likely also part of the motivation of the the leaders to Mm -hmm. do it this way by bringing delivering up to the Gentiles but this is just out of control mob lynching basically and we don't we don't
0: really read in this passage (laughs) so much of like of, of a crowd like a general crowd, you just kind of read the religious leaders that are in the midst of this whole scene. So that could be different, difference or could play a part of it as well.
2: Leonard mentioned that uh, the Lord Jesus uh, said, uh, forgive them for they know not what they do, and that Stephen didn't use that term. But the people who actually killed the Lord Jesus were Romans. So they had no idea what they were doing. They were just carrying out orders. But the Jewish people knew exactly what they were doing. Yes. They were rejecting the Savior and rejecting his uh, his messenger.
0: So we we move to an escalation from the earlier chapters where there was we um, we talked about you know they they were preaching at the temple and they were told by the religious leaders not to do it again and they were beaten and they were told not to do it again they were beaten you know that kind of thing. Now we see. An escalation where it's no longer just beating and telling people not to do things. it's uh, Stephen was actually martyred. He's the first martyr in the in the New Testament in the Church Age. And interestingly enough, it wasn't like an apostle. It was it was one of those men in chapter six of Acts. Chapter, Acts chapter six. So uh, it's tremendous to think that this man laid on his life for for his Savior. And then we read in. We read the first part of chapter 8 that um, at this time at that time a great persecution arose so this seemed to be like the, the powder keg that blew the whole lid off the whole thing you know and, and it seemed to be the start of something really really bad where Stephen was martyred and then this whole thing blew up and people were getting persecuted and we see the introduction of, of Saul coming into the play and And he's involved, and he's really zealous for uh, persecuting Christians. And so this whole thing blows up, and that kind of sets up the scene for the next couple of uh, chapters.
1: There's quite something. It says three times of Stephen. In chapter 6, verse 3, verse 5, and here in chapter 7, verse 55, that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. It's exactly the same words, same tenses, <coughs> as what you find of the Lord Jesus in Luke four, verse one or two. And then in that state of being full of the Holy Spirit, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. <coughs> Quite some you know that stoning might have cost him five minutes of pain, or maybe ten minutes many executions only take seconds what a difference if to face an, an, an eternity in hell if you're not saved and then compare that with the eternity of glory And makes you know a man like Stephen would have known this that made a man like that look differently at death
0: so um Anybody have any thoughts to finish up this chapter?
1: One last thing. I was just thinking just a the comparison uh, between Stephen and uh, Zachariah, the son of Jehoiada in 2 Chronicles. And just whenever he's being stoned, um, he just says, Lord, look on it and repay," And the Lord does. He kills you know, the, the people that put him to death. He, the God kills. And instead said Stephen we can see the difference of being full of the Holy Spirit. What what that the difference is? He says, "You not charge them with this sin," mm-hmm. and God doesn't, right? Saul, Paul, you know, if if, if it had been a Lord, look on it and repay, and God repaid them, then there is no Paul, right? He would have been. He would have just a <clears throat> Yeah, interesting. For
0: participation. And uh, we look forward to the next chapter.